This morning, as we start our conversation about the Easter season, What this is going to look like for us over the next few weeks is we are going to be focusing on some of the main events in the life of Jesus, in the story of Jesus, that led up to the crucifixion. And so we're going to look at things like uh, the triumphal entry, which is Palm Sunday. That'll be in a couple weeks. We're going to look at what's known as the the Last Supper, uh, where Jesus gathers with the disciples and the communion and all of that stuff happens for the first time. We're going to look at that event. Uh, we're going to look at the Garden of Gethsemane and some of these events. So this is really, the, you're, you're, we're talking about the final week or so of Jesus' life, and there are massive events that all fit into the big picture of what's happening, but individually there is also a whole bunch of things that we can learn and take from that. And so that's what this is going to look like. Uh, and all right, that's enough of an introduction. I want to ask you to please stand with me all over this place, and uh, let's just begin by praying together and um, I like to kind of say it this way. I, I just I like to kind of invite God into this moment. Um, God is always here. God is everywhere all at the same time. So we're kind of, you know, it's a weird thing to maybe say, but there's something for us really just in opening ourselves up to allowing God to come and to move and to do things in us. And so let's just pray uh, that. And so God, we, we look to you today. We open our hearts. We sit on the edge of our seats and really lean into to what you have for us. And so God, I pray that as we open your very word that, uh, and we look at the story of Jesus and different things, I pray that significant things would come, significant things would happen. And so God, we give this to you, and Lord, I just pray, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would uh, fill my thoughts and my mind right now with, with what you have. And God, that this would just be a, a supernatural moment that we have together. And so God, we just give this to you and it's in your name if we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give someone a high five and have a seat. <coughs> All right, I need you to prepare yourself um, for one of the lamest jokes that I have ever told in church. And I'm just starting it by saying that, okay? Are you ready? Uh, and and I had, I've used this a, a number of years ago. I used this same thing, so some of you may remember it, but it really is gonna set us up for what we're talking about today. Um, there was a man, in, he was in a large city, and he walked, walked into a restaurant, was excited to eat, and um, went to get a table, and the guy there just said to him, um, sir, you, this is a fancy restaurant. You actually have to have a tie. You, you have to wear a tie to go to this restaurant. And the guy's like, I don't have a tie. I just want to eat. Can I just come in and eat? And the guy's like, no, no, no. You, you've got, like, you have to have something around your neck. It's just kind of part of our policy here. And he goes, okay. So he walks out to his car, and he's looking through different things, can't figure out. He's like, what am I going to do? I just really want to go eat there. And he finds a set of jumper cables. Okay, yeah, it's a true story. All right, no. And he grabs the jumper cables, and he puts them around his neck, and he ties them in a little thing, and then he walks in. And the guy sees him coming, and the guy's like, okay, come on. You, like, you can't do that. And the guy just says, please, I really just want to come eat. Um, just go put me in the corner or something. That's fine. And the, finally, the, the, the guy at the restaurant just says, all right, I tell you what. Um, you can come in. Go sit in that table over there. Just don't start anything. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See? Yeah, it's true. Uh, one of... One of the fascinating things about the story of Jesus from the Bible is that there is a group of people that 
that for Jesus, he seemed to always have tension and conflict with all the time. Uh, and, when, and if you didn't know the story, if you didn't know the story and you were going to try to guess who that was, you would probably guess wrong. Because I think that we would assume that the people that Jesus had the biggest issue with were like the super sinful people. The tax collectors who are cheating people and, you know, we even have stories of prostitutes and different things in Jesus' day and and all of these types of things. You'd think those are the people that Jesus would have tension with, but the reality is there's very little conflict that Jesus ever had with those type of people. And the people that Jesus consistently over and over had tension with was the most churchy religious people of his day. That's the story, and for just a few minutes today, uh, I I want us to ask the question, why? Why is there conflict with Jesus and the religious people of his day? The title that we're using for this message is just called called The Setup, and what we're going to do as we prepare to get into the Easter season is I want us to look at uh, the story of Jesus through the lens of these religious people who eventually are going to be the ones responsible for his death. And ask the question, what is the deal here? Why is this happening? Why does he have this conflict with them? And to start, I want to define a few terms and a, and a few groups of people that we're going to see show up in our story, in, in the big picture story of Jesus. First, uh, I'm, let's the word is the law. Uh, we're going to see this come up. When you see the law, and it, that we see this over and over, this phrase, the law, in the story of Jesus, it is talking about the Jewish law that was given to Moses. We have that actually in like the first, within some of the first five books of the Bible that we have now today. Um, it, it's laws about all sorts of things, but God gave Moses the law for the Jewish people, how they should live and what they should do and what they shouldn't, and that's written down. And that is going to come up in the story of Jesus and these religious leaders over and over again. Understand, the law uh, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It is from God. It is helpful So understand that. Second, we have these groups of people that we're going to read about. Sometimes it's going to say the teachers of the law. Sometimes your Bible will even say scribes. And sometimes it'll say the word Pharisees. These are all three titles that sometimes are used interchangeably to talk about groups of people, but they're actually kind of different groups of people as well. But just for the conversation today, understand that these three, these three labels are all religious leaders from the time of Jesus. These are people who had devoted their life to the study and the teaching of the Holy Scriptures, Okay, and so at, a, at the surface level, this is a good, it should be a good group of people, right? This, this, though, is going to be the group of people eventually responsible for Jesus dying, for killing Jesus. This is the group right here, okay? And finally, the word Sabbath, and maybe that's a word that you have heard. It's in the Ten Commandments and different things, but part of the Jewish law, we, we don't really do Sabbath in the same way that they did back then. Part of the Jewish law was this Sabbath day. It was one of the Ten Commandments and massively important to the Jewish people. Uh, like the Jewish people were, were forced by their law to set aside one day a week for worship and rest. 
And you could not do any work on that day. You could not cook food. You could not harvest in your field, plant in your garden. You couldn't do anything of work and anything like that. For the Jewish people, this was Saturday. Every single week from sunrise to sunset, you did not do certain things. And this was a religious law, the Sabbath day. Okay, And understand, though the Sabbath started as a God-focused fantastic thing by the time of Jesus it had become this burdensome set of rules and we're going to see Jesus attack some of that okay so here we go um today this is what this is going to look like and if you if you have the ability to take some notes this would be super helpful because we're gonna uh what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through pretty much the entire book of Mark in one little sitting here yeah it's true uh and what we're gonna look at is we are gonna look at Uh, There are 13 instances in the book of Mark where Jesus has conflict with the religious leaders of his day. Why are we looking at the book of Mark? A couple reasons. First of all, uh, Mark, there there are four gospels in the Bible. I want to make sure everyone even understands this. There are four books of our Bible that actually tell the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is considered to be the first one of the four that was written. All right. It's also the shortest, and it's not even close. It's fantastic. Mark takes this condensed, power-packed version of the story, doesn't give all the details and everything that some of the others do. He just gets from one place to the next, and it's fantastic. In fact, the book of Mark does not include the birth of Jesus. It doesn't include the Christmas story, any of that. Jesus is 30 years old at the beginning of Mark and is already doing miracles and teaching and all of that. Okay, like verse one, this is where we are at. Uh, But not only is Mark like short, and that's amazing, that's really not why we're looking at this though. Mark, one of his main themes in in him telling his version of the story here of Jesus is the conflict that we see between Jesus and the religious leaders. And so he focuses on that over and over. In fact, Mark chapter 2 already, verse number 1, we have the first encounter. And Mark chapters 2 and 3, there are five different accounts and encounters between Jesus and the religious leaders. Five of them in chapters 2 and 3 alone. Okay, And so here's what we're going to do. Again, there's 13 moments. We're going to look at about eight of them. We really are. And we're going to look at eight different situations where Jesus has tension with these religious leaders, conflict. And then we're going to ask some questions. Why? What is, what is it that the religious leaders have? What, what issues did they have with Jesus? And what issues does Jesus have with the religious leaders? And then I feel like we're going to be at a place where this gets really relevant to us really quick at the end. Okay? So this is the story of what's happening today. Again, do your best to follow because we're going to go scripture, scripture, scripture like fire hose style and you just need to kind of open your mouth and take it all in. That's what's going to happen. You have that picture in your head now. Okay, all right. Uh, so here we go. Mark chapter 2 verse 1. This is where we start. It tells the story of a paralyzed man and his friends bring him to this home where Jesus is teaching. The home is packed. Some of us have heard this story before and the paralyzed Uh, The the friends of this paralyzed man bring the guy up onto the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and they drop the man down uh, slowly in front of Jesus. And this is what happens. And we we, we pick up in verse number five, and here's what it says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse six, now some teachers of the law were sitting there, 
and thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The religious leaders in this situation, they hear Jesus talking about forgiving sins, and they're like, only God can forgive sins. Who does this guy, who does this joker think he is, is what they're thinking here in this moment. Uh, Jesus knows what they're thinking. He turns to these religious men, he says a few words, and then he miraculously heals this paralyzed man right in front of this entire crowd. But there's tension already that has started right here. Can you like feel that with me as we go on this journey in the midst of all these people, tension between Jesus and these religious people. Literally the very next verse, we have the second encounter. Uh, Jesus sees this tax collector on the side of the road. He's walking down the road with his, and he sees someone, a tax collector right there. His name is Matthew, and Matthew becomes one of Jesus' followers, and uh, and Jesus goes and has a meal in Matthew's home, is what the story is. Tax collectors are hated. They were crooked. They were Jews working for the enemy. They were working for the Roman Empire. Okay, it's not a good situation. We don't have time to go into all of that. But Jesus goes to this tax collector's meal, or the tax collector's home for a meal. And this is where things get messy again. And this is verse 15. We're still in Mark chapter 2. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, that's actually Matthew, his his name has kind of changed in a little bit. Uh, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum, is what they're thinking. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They see Jesus hanging out with these people that are not good people. In their mind, sinners is the word that they use. And they open their mouth and speak with disapproval to what Jesus is doing here. Why are you hanging out with them? Uh, just a few verses later, still in chapter 2, kind of like this is just really bam, bam, bam. Okay, you can feel it as you, as you look for it in the book of Mark. Uh, later in chapter 2, we have back-to-back -back situations where things happen on the Sabbath day with Jesus and the religious leaders, okay? Uh, and we, lock, we talked about the Sabbath day and different things, the special day that was set aside for God, rest and worship, part of the Jewish law. We'll just look at the first of the two here. This is verse 23 now of chapter two. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and, he, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of the grain. Jesus and his disciples are walking through the field, and they pick some pieces off of the plant, and they're eating it is what the story has, okay? Verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath day? Jesus, okay, again, they're walking through, they're eating this, and they say, hey, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath day. You can't pick grain. The, the implication here is that like they're harvesting. This is what's happening, okay? And the religious leaders. But over and over and over again, like this, this message, the first three quarters of it is just going to be me just pounding this in your head. Over and over, conflict between the religious people and Jesus. Over and over and over again. And we're going to see this escalate. Um, here's the fourth one that we'll look at. This is Mark chapter 7. Uh, Mark Mark chapter 7, I love this in verse number 5, so we're skipping a few events and different things and just kind of highlighting some. 
It says this, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, so they approach him at a different point, and they say, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Okay, this is, uh, what this is here is the Jewish people had all sorts of traditions and laws and rules that they had made up about washing their hands and doing these ceremony things before they ate meals and different things. Jesus and his disciples just don't do that stuff. So this isn't like, ooh, they didn't wash their hands before they ate. That's gross. That's not what this is. This is a religious thing that Jesus and his disciples just don't do. And, and, the, and they call him out and they say, why don't they do that? Okay, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. This is getting good now. Jesus is like starting to say some stuff. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is saying this to the churchy people of his day. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Jesus just flat out kicks them in the teeth. It's fantastic, isn't it? But uh, can you feel the tension here? The churchy people and Jesus is like, y'all a bunch of hypocrites and your hearts are far from God and you're no good and and your traditions and you don't even care about God. And, and, And can you feel the tension of what is happening here as things have begun to escalate over and over? And again, these are the people that are going to kill him. And this is where we're going with this right here, okay? Uh, All right. For the fifth one, uh, we're skipping all the way to chapter number 11, and again, we're skipping a handful of interactions here that we could go to, but for the, sen- for the sake of time, like I had to cut tons and tons of this to try to get it in, in the time we have today, uh, it's just to show us what I think uh, are just some of the highlights. So chapter number 11, there, there are five more conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders in chapter 11 and 12 alone, again. And so this continues to come up. And by the end of chapter 12 here in Mark, uh, the religious leaders are set on the fact that Jesus needs to die. Uh, so it starts with Jesus clearing the temple. This is chapter number 11, and this is so great. Uh, verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. Totally different situation now. And he begins driving out those who are buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, it is not written, my house will be called, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Can you imagine Jesus walking into a massive church service of some sort and he walks in and starts throwing things around? He's flipping over tables and he's angry. And this is the situation that we have to explain this a little bit better. And I got to go super fast with this. 
in the temple, and the temple, the, the Jewish temple was in Jerusalem. There was one Jewish temple, and then they had what was called synagogues in kind of all of their other little places, uh, little villages and different things. But the temple was this big deal, uh, hundreds of years old building, the Jew, everything Jewish. People traveled there to see the Jewish temple and to worship God there. Well, it became this place where, where people were making money from everyone that was coming to the temple. And, they, and there were sacrifices and things that happened, and they would sell people these doves and to sacrifice to God, and it was getting all, okay? It was getting very interesting here. Jesus walks in and is like, isn't this supposed to be a place of prayer? And he starts flipping things over, and okay? And so this is what we have right here. By the very end of this event right here, the, the, the religious leaders are like, he's got to die. He's got to die. A few verses later, they approach Jesus. This is uh, Mark eleven twenty seven. It says, They arrived again in Jerusalem while Jesus was walking in the temple courts. And the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Now here's what they're doing here. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to trick him into saying something incriminating so that they can kill him. Legally. That's what they're doing, okay? Then in chapter number 12, we have Jesus telling this crowd of people a parable about this evil farmer. Uh, the parable's like this, this evil farmer and whatever, and Jesus tells this. But in the middle of this, par- in this story that Jesus tells, he like has these underlying like punches and blows at the, the religious people. It's so cool. And here's how they respond. It says, Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they, uh, they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. And finally, finally, did you hear me say finally? Here we go. Okay, We've built, we're building this entire case. Finally, just a few verses later, we have this. It says, As he taught... Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor and bank. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. All right, there. That's the end of our little journey here. But can you feel the tension? Can you feel the conflict? Somebody nod with me that, yeah, I can feel it, as it has happened over and over again in different ways, in different things. Jesus does things that they don't approve of. Jesus says things that they don't like. Jesus flat out calls them out at different times. In the temple, Jesus is flipping things around and, and being angry about all of this. And finally, Jesus just calls them straight out and says they're all a bunch of doofuses. Don't listen to what they say. This is the story that we have right here, okay? And, and here's, like, as I read this, the, the, the part of me that just doesn't seem to completely make sense is, like, Jesus is doing miracles. Jesus is, is doing incredible things. Jesus is teaching in this massive, amazing way, and yet these religious people completely miss it. They miss the fact that the very Son of God is on earth walking in their midst all around them. 
And so what, what is the deal here? Why? Uh, what is happening? They're going to kill him for this. And so let's approach this from two angles quickly. First, um, let me give you three issues, and we're going to like burn through this, so don't worry when I say lots of numbers and things. Let me give you three issues that the religious leaders had with Jesus. All right, write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus. Clearly, they were jealous. What do I mean by that? Very simply, Jesus was attracting massive crowds of people. He was gaining all sorts of attention. People were talking about him, coming to see him. People were in awe by his teaching. We see this over and over as we read. Jesus is doing crazy things. He's doing miracles, healing people, casting out demons at different things. Jesus was getting all sorts of attention, and these religious leaders didn't like that. In a way, they were jealous of that. Okay? Number two, the religious leaders were threatened by Jesus threatened by Jesus. What do do we mean? Like they were set in their way of life, and their way of life included control. They were feared. They were respected as leaders. They they determined all sorts of the things that were happening in their culture. They taught the people what was right and wrong. They taught the people from the Holy Scriptures, Uh, and in that culture, the result was power. These are people who had massive amounts of power in their situation and in their world, and they were threatened by Jesus. Jesus comes in, and they begin to lose control. Can you feel that? They're losing losing control. Um, But the third thing here, and this is maybe not in what we read today in the same way, but it's absolutely a part of the story. The religious leaders feared the Roman Empire, okay? Uh, And we don't have time to dive into this, but understand the history here. Israel was under Roman rule, and Roman soldiers walked the streets uh, everywhere you looked. Israel was, in a way, in captivity here, and they paid taxes to Caesar. They were not free, and there was this underlying fear in the Jewish people that if things got out of hand, the Romans were going to show up in force. Uh, the, The average Jew in this story, their understanding of the coming Messiah was incorrect, They understood the coming Messiah as someone who was going to come and free them from the Romans. This is the way that they pictured some of this, okay? There were uprisings, there were zealots, there were issues all around. The religious leaders were in power, but it was a fragile thing because of the Roman Empire, Okay, they were hanging on to that. So this is, some re- this is why they, they were having such an issue with this man coming here. Even though he's doing miracles and doing this, they had this underlying, I'm losing control and I'm afraid of what this means. Now, quickly, let me give you three issues that Jesus had with the religious leaders. And this is where things begin to get super practical for us. Okay, so I know some of us are tired, and it maybe wasn't super fun to go through a million passages of Scripture all in one. Right now, I need you to focus on me. Elbow the person next to you and say, I think that you should listen right now. Yeah, okay, there we go. Uh, Three issues that Jesus had with the religious leaders. Okay, number one, they made rules more important than people. They made rules more important than people. Two of the stories that we read... Okay, include, um, include people who are hurting. 
uh, when you look at this. You, you have a man who is paralyzed, and actually a story that I cut now that I think about it, was another man with a, with a deformed hand that Jesus healed in the middle of the Sabbath day service, the, 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 the church service that they had. Okay? And their rules seem to become more important than people. Uh, like, forget the fact that these are people who are physically hurting and physically in need. And forget the fact that this could be life-changing for these people. Like, they were so focused on their religious rules that they were missing the fact that people are here. Pe- this is real people. Okay? Jesus had an issue with that. Number two, they were very self-centered in their worship. Very self-centered. And this shows up all over the place with the religious leaders, but the, the, clear, the clearest one is this last one we read in Mark 12. Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, be greeted with respect in the marketplace, have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished. They like it when people greet them with respect. They like having the most important seats in the service, in the church, in the banquets and different things. They say all these super long, flowy prayers because they like the attention that that brings on them. And all of this God stuff like, actually became super self-centered for these people in their worship. Jesus had an issue with that. And then finally, finally they put human tradition above the worship of God. Like, we started with this beautiful law from God where God details out for them the best way for these people to live in harmony and community and in worship and all of this. But eventually what happened is the beautiful, the beautiful thing that God gave began to be overshadowed by layer upon layer of tradition and all of the churchy religious junk. And it, and it killed the, the, the sincere, authentic worship of the people as they it became nothing but following rules. Don't do this. Do this here. Go here at this time. Say this prayer this way and go through whatever you need to do to go from one tradition to the next. This was their life and the heart of the entire thing was lost as their worship of, of God was actually overshadowed by these man-made traditions that they begin to follow. This was not okay with Jesus. He was opposed to that. Okay, music team, will you please come? In a three-minute period here, I'm going to try to bring this all together and, and hit us over the head a little bit at the same time, because that's kind of what I feel has happened in a way for me. So um, today is all about, follow me here, today is about a group of people from the life of Jesus who absolutely thought they were honoring God in the right way. These religious people, so, like when we read this story, we, we view them as the enemy, don't we? Like they're the bad guys in the story. When in reality, these were people who were sincere. They actually did care about God. They actually cared about worship. They cared about the temple. They really wanted to honor God, but over the years, things just began to, in a way, drift away from where they should be. And over and over and over, things that were, were set up to be this authentic, beautiful thing were overshadowed by all sorts of other things. And, 
And hundreds of years later, the Jewish people found themselves drifted way over here, hanging on to all of this stuff instead of this humble, amazing, authentic relationship with God, a God who cares so much for them. And as I read this, I read this stuff this week, and as I was just, and I was just putting this together, I, I felt so clearly that God just like began to lay on my heart. This is not just happening uh, a few thousand years ago in the time of Jesus. And, and it becomes, and it can become so easy for us as church people today to get in the rhythms and the traditions and all of the things that we are supposed to do and supposed to stay. And we stand at the certain time and we sing the certain songs and we, we take the offering and we go through the motions of tradition instead of experiencing the true and real authentic worship of our God. And as we approach an Easter season, which is a season that in a way can be built on tradition, and not all traditions bad. We have all sorts of traditions in my family, and I think my kids someday are going to look back and be like, I, we used to do this, and I loved it, okay? So I don't mean to say that, but man, let's not be people who miss out on who Jesus really is for the sake of our churchy stuff. And I begin to ask myself the question in a very humble way, where are the places in my life where I'm actually missing this? Where, where tradition and rules and religion, even if I can use that word, are actually keeping me away from this authentic, beautiful thing that God has called me to do and be. Will you stand with me all over this place? God, we God, we pause for just a moment and we humbly think about these religious leaders who you know, you, you could argue that their heart was in the right place but that they were so far away from where they needed to be. They were authentic. They were following the and the laws down to the smallest little details but they were absolutely missing they missed the very son of God walking among them and God I just pray I pray that that as we approach the next few weeks and as we go into a season where we reflect and remember your death Jesus and, and your resurrection I pray I pray, God, that I pray that in humility we would experience you in a different way and that we would know you, God, in a sincere, humble way. And so, God, we just, we just give this to you, Lord, in your name we pray. Before we're done today, um, we're just going to take just going to take a moment here to, um, to I guess, reflect, and, and I just want to do that in the form of maybe a question or two, and, and the question would just be like, are, are there areas, or maybe a better way to say it are, where are the areas in your life where, where you are maybe missing some of this, and 
Are you in a place where you are open to God maybe showing you things? And where you are open to what he would have for you even during this season? Because I believe that when we go into even some of the traditions of Easter, that the root of these things, because you could even take Lent, for instance. We're not a church that necessarily practices this idea of Lent, but at the very root of this idea of taking six weeks to humbly submit ourselves to reflecting on God and what he did for us, how can that be a bad thing? That's a beautiful thing. And there are religious cultures that, that you grew up in maybe that do that. But man, I think you understand that that can just become another box to check. And that's not what this is. One just final thing here before we go. We always want to give people an opportunity to respond to the message of Jesus. Maybe even for the first time. Maybe you're here and you would say, um, I've never given my life to God. I've never responded to him. Jesus died for you died for you to forgive your sins and to bring you to God and if you will put your trust in him then you can be you can be the words of the Bible would be saved you can be free from your junk and reconciled to a perfect God and with no one looking around here for just a moment who here in this place would just simply say man I've never responded to the message of Jesus and I want to do that today if if that's you will you just show me your hand just for a moment I just want to pray for you at all that would say, yes, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? If you're watching behind a screen right now, you can respond. This is a hard thing between you and God. All right, church, let's just say a prayer here before we're done. Everybody pray this. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Can we put our hands together for that?